After 357 days, the marathon majors are back. But Kenanisa Bekele still doesn't have the world record. What's next for him? We'll talk about that and preview this weekend's London Marathon. Speaking of marathons, Farrah Fowl, an American at the Quad Cities Marathon, saw two Kenyans ahead of him run off course, purposely didn't say anything, and now has won the race. Should sub-elite men be allowed to kick down elite women at the marathons? And John may not like it, but we're going to have a little more COVID talk as some crazy decisions have been made. NXN is canceled along with the Marine Corps Marathon. All of that and more in this week's edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson here. Super pumped to be here. Joined by always as my genetic faster twin brother, Weldon Johnson, and a staff writer, Jonathan Galt. Folks, we want to hear from you. This is what Let's Run's all about. We believe that your voice matters. That's why we have a forum. That's why we have a phone number. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, pick up the phone. 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7787. Eight, six. Hit extension 7 to go to this secret podcast voicemail. If we play your audio, we may win a free pair of shoes. And if you love the podcast, come on, people. Sign up for the bonus podcast. Friday, 15. Every Friday we have it. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. You can follow posters. You get a free shirt. You get big shoe discounts. It pays for itself. Do it now. Let'srun.com slash subscribe. Good day, gentlemen. Good day. You guys enjoying the holiday today? Are you poking fun of me? Folks, podcast listeners, I'm going to be on holiday for the next two weeks. We got a text message this morning at like 3 a.m. from my son's school. I'm the most cautious person in the world about COVID. I have sent my son to a school where he masks up at age three, and there's a positive COVID positive in his class. So the entire class is out for two weeks. So... It's going to be fun. Me and my son are going to have a lot of bonding, but I don't know if I'd even told you guys about that. No, I don't think he's talking about that holiday. He's talking about National Sons Day as the son of a son. This is like double holiday for me, right? I'm actually the son of a son of a son. Can go back all the way back to the, the start of existence. I've got a lot of, you know, a lot of sons in my lineage. I come from a proud family of sons. Though I'm actually very confused why sons get a holiday. Like mothers, I get it. Fathers, I get it. I try to be nice to my parents, but I don't know if I've earned a holiday as a son. So I don't know. I guess I'll take it. But is this just a rebranding? Like we, you can't have a day like it's Man Day, so it's just they just call it Sons Day. Well, I did look up to see if there's a Daughters Day. There is also a Daughters Day. So good news there. It's a little bit rare to have Berlin Marathon talk the same week you have London Marathon talk. That's what people may want to hear this week. But some of these other topics, they're near and dear to me. Marine Corps Marathon. I don't think I got a proper introduction, Robert. I'm the 1998 Marine Corps Marathon champion. Canceled. People running off course in winning races. I have some personal experience of that. Going to be some hot takes today on this podcast. Well, maybe cue up the Weejo's rant music. The rarely, I don't know if we've ever needed that for this podcast, but we might this week. And Robert. We've got a guy who sat next to Molly Seidel on a plane after the Olympics. He stepped forward to claim your $5,000, but was determined. He's not worthy of the $5,000, but he's got a cool story. Talks about sitting next to Molly on her way back 
from the Tokyo Olympics. He's a huge runner, Let's Run podcast listener, Zach Litoff. I'm excited to talk to him because I'm really pumped, actually, because I, I really honestly, I think that Twitter is like the worst of society. People like focus on the negatives of stuff and like, oh, this man was mansplaining Molly Seidel. I'm like, I don't think this story's what people said it was at all. I don't believe this. And then we haven't been, despite a $5,000 reward, we've not been able to find anyone to confirm the story. But we found someone who sat on a plane next to her, got his picture taken, was chatting with friends with the gold medal or silver bronze medal right next to them. Cool story. So there's actually fans supporting Molly not tearing her down and mansplaining to her. All right, let's start with Berlin, though, John. And I want to apologize to you. I was at the wedding in Charlotte, as everyone who listens to the Friday 15 knows. I was on the road. I was optimistic. You know, I'm kind of older. I'm like, I can't hang with these young guys. It was a guy that I used to coach at Cornell, about 30 years of age, getting married. I'm like, I'm going to call it an early night and get up at 4 a.m. to watch Berlin. I was pumped for Kenny B's race. But, hey, I was having a little bit too much time. I totally forgot about Berlin by the end of the night. But I woke up, and I, I was going to try to figure out what happened, but I didn't want to have it, like, spoil. I wanted to go to the thread, you know, the, the official Let's Run message board thread to see it, like, play-by-play play after the fact. But then I realized, like, at the bottom, there, if he breaks a world record, there's going to be other threads about it, and I'm going to see that. I didn't see that, but I saw, like, I went to the official thread, and it was, like, 18 pages. I said, oh, this must be a good race if there's that much talk about it. And I was pretty pumped. I'm not going to lie. That when they went out fast, I was like, wow, they went for it. At least I hate when people talk about a world record and don't go for it. And then I'm reading, I'm like, Bakili's falling off. Like, is this halfway? No, it's not even halfway. But then he's staying in there. And I know there was no record. Both the men's and women's winners totally blew up. But for someone who didn't watch it, I was entertained by the race and happy with the way it went. You actually watched it. What were your feelings about it? Well, I enjoyed it as well, Robert. And I'll tell you, I woke, so I set the alarm for 4 a.m. And after about a minute to, or two to collect myself from my bed and realize I'm up at 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning, I go into the living room, turn on the TV. What is the first image that pops onto my screen? It is Kenanisa Bekele off the lead pack. And I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? You know, is this, is he getting dropped? But then I remember some of his greatest victories, 2013 Great North Run, 2019 Berlin Marathon, 2016 Berlin Marathon. He kind of played dead, backed off the pace, and then closed it down and won. So I wasn't totally panicking. He came through in 61 flat halfway. I'm like, this is exact. he's a genius. This is exactly what he wanted to do. Everyone else is going out too fast. And then he caught them, and I was still feeling good. And then I realized, oh, man, Everyone just went out way too fast, and you know they're they're gonna die. So, but that was that was fun in and of itself because people forget. I feel like we don't see this as much with the super shoes, but back in the day, this would happen at London. It would happen in other marathons. People would go out way too aggressively, and they would just blow up. And that was part of the appeal of the marathon was you can't go out too fast, or this will happen, and someone will come back from two minutes behind you and run you down. And I feel like the Vaporflies and the Super Shoes have taken that element out a little bit. So it's kind of fun to still see that part of the marathon that, hey, this is still a really hard race. And if you go out too fast, it's going to cost you. Yeah. And in the end, Gaia Dola, who almost beat Pekele a couple years ago, gets a deserved win. 205.45. Pekele's third, 206.47. Somebody who was a minute and 32 seconds down at halfway. Bethwell. Yegon gets second from Kenya, 206.14. And in the women's race, 
After a 69-19 first half, the second half was 70-50. Goyetam, Gebras, Gebras, it's not Gebraslasse, it's Gebraslasse is the winner. 220-09 in her debut. I feel like you can still say Gebraslasse for that name. I feel like there's like three or four different ways to spell Gebraslasse. I kind of, maybe this is just my ignorance showing through, but I kind of just all pronounce them the same. Someone, you know, and someone who speaks M- Amharic may need to correct me on that. But yeah, Adola, I was very impressed because he, he ran 205.45 the hard way, Robert. 64.48 and then 64.57 for his second half. He split 15.59 from 35K to 40K. The only time I can ever remember the winner of a world marathon major running 15.59 for that split was Yuki Kauchi in Boston. I think it was in the 16-minute range there. So that was crazy. Women's side was the same thing. Gebra Selassie, her 5K split from 35K to 40K was 1740. And she was gaining ground on people at that. She was pulling away. Because she was it, was, it was interesting. She was on pace to run the fastest debut marathon in history through 35K. She would have broken Paula Radcliffe's record from 2002 London. Instead, she ends up just missing two. 20, she, you know, sub 220, she runs 220.09, but still a very good effort for her, an impressive run. And then we didn't mention the top American in this race, Shalane Flanagan. At the age of 40, the part of her six week marathon, seven week marathon, oh, sorry, six week marathon odyssey. She runs 238, 32 for 17th place, and she had a big negative split. She ran 123 for her first half, 114 for her second. I was quite impressed by that, considering you know she's no longer a professional athlete. Obviously, she's incredibly talented. We'll see how she recovers that from that because she's got London on Sunday. I wasn't a big fan of the, of the Flanagan race thing, but now I'm kind of into it because I thought she was just going to jog these races. Like she's actually running legit here, taking a little bit conservative the first half, hammering home. I'm so what can she do a week later? And then how many weeks are Chicago and Boston? Is it one weekend off and she gets it? Or is it the very next weekend as well? No, she goes off to London. She gets one week and then she has Chicago on the Sunday. And then she has to hop on a plane after that race and run Boston the following day. So that's going to be very tough. So she'll have had four marathons in two weeks. Uh, And just it'll be... In 15 days. uh, Yeah, 16 days when you count because... Boston's on the Monday and Berlin was on the Sunday. But yeah, four marathons. That's an average of one every four days. Yeah, not very easy. So good for her. So the big storylines for me coming out of Berlin, Adola, I thought that was a, a good thing for him. You know, he ran the fastest debut ever when he made his debut in 2017. He almost beat Kipchoge, Robert. You said he almost beat Bekele. It was Kipchoge. He was actually leading him late in the race. And this was when Kipchoge was at the height of his invincibility. We all thought this was inc- insane. Adola ends up fading a little bit, but he still ran 203.46 in his debut. We thought this guy's the next big thing. But then his next marathon in London, he ran in the 230s, came back and ran 204 in Valencia in t- 2019, but hadn't really done anything crazy. Now he has won his first major marathon. I think that race showed he's definitely, he's faster than 205. You know, he ran 205 essentially the hardest possible way to run it. So I think that's good for him moving forward. He's certainly a player now. 
And then Bekele, I think we got to ask, like, where does this leave him? Because going into the race, I thought he was either going to get a really fast time and win or he was going to blow up. And I turned out to be totally wrong because he just landed in the middle and ran 206. So what do we make of this performance? Well, I wrote about this in the week that was, and I was optimistic about it for the following three reasons. One, he's healthy. Two, he seems to be in good spirits. He, after the race, he was talking about how he still wants to break the world record. <clears throat> you know, He said he just needs more time to train. Well, guess what? You've got another race in six weeks. It's the New York City Marathon. To me, his days of, of, of breaking the world record, this was it. It's not going to happen. And I'm a little bit worried in the sense of that seems to be the only thing that he's focused on. He's obsessed with the world record in time. I would like him to just try to win some majors. Let's go to New York. You're a cross-country star. You should be amazing there. Win that. He's only won two majors in his career. Maybe get a course record. Then try to go to then go to Boston in the spring. Because right, London's not going to be in the spring. Is that correct? London's next fall as well. That's right. So go to Boston. It's a hilly course. Win that. Try to get the course records. I've urged you, urge race directors, put out a big bonus for the course record. You know, I just put up an article on London. If you get the world record, there's three hundred thousand dollars. You know, right now for New York, it's fifty thousand dollars if you run under two hundred five thirty. There's not even a course record bonus that I can find. It's like twenty five k for Boston. No, 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 no. Make it two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Give Kenanese something to shoot on because he is obsessed with time. But that's not going to be easy to break two hundred five oh six in New York, two hundred three in Boston. Now both those predate the Super Shoe era, but that's my my goal for Bikile: win Boston, win New York. You'll double your majors. It'll help your resume. What do you guys think of that? Well, I'd like to see him try it, but Robert, I read the week that was, and I was astounded by just how casually you threw out, oh, he should go and break the world records, the course records. And I guess this is a 201 guy we're talking about. Like, at his best, he is very good at the marathon. But, like, those are two legendary course records. Joffrey Mutai ran 203.03 in Boston in 2011 with essentially the perfect tailwind behind him the entire way. You know, that was, I think... John Kellogg described it as once in a lifetime conditions. Like to get to run 203 in Boston, like you to get the course record, he basically has to run 202 in Boston. Even with super shoes, I think the only way that's happening is with ridiculously good weather. You need a big tailwind. I, I don't think that course record's getting broken otherwise. And then 20506 in New York, again by Jeffrey Mutai, same year, same guy, one of the most amazing performances in marathon history, even with the super shoes. The closest anyone's come was 53 seconds, Lisa De Cesar in 2018. And that was with Shira Katada pushing the pace early, uh, early in the race. That was with other guys to go again, you know, in the final miles of battling it out. Like, that's an absurd course record. So to think that Bekele, who just ran 206, like, I guess with the negative with positive split, you know, kind of, it's fast. He's worth faster than 206. But I just think those are really, really hard course records to break, even with super shoes, because 2011 Joffrey Mutai, was about as good as we've ever seen a marathoner. The course record is a bit absurd. He doesn't have to break the course record at both these things. He needs to just win the New York City Marathon, win the Boston Marathon. At this stage of his career, 39 years of age, that would be great. If he gets a course record or something like that, fine, then it's crazy. But I think the days of the world record are gone for him. But I'm... Cautiously optimistic for New York. 
One caveat, though, John. You said you thought he'd break the course record or, or blow up. He did blow up. He blew up, but he still ran 206. That's just sort of where we are in this era. And I wonder, I wonder here's a question for you guys. Without super shoes, what do you think would have happened to Bekele and Berlin? Well, I think it helped, helped prevent a bigger blow up. But I don't know the effects. Like that's not something we've studied, right? Or we have seen. Everyone says they reduce the pounding. You know, it gives you more in your legs. The last ten k. I don't know the actual data on that, but I think his chances of dropping out would have been a lot higher with the super shoe without the super shoes. Right, I agree. But also, I guess the caveat is without super shoes, he doesn't go out in sixty-one flat. So it works both ways. So I'm I'm excited about New York. It's kind of great. And then also Boston. I mean, Boston's sitting really pretty next spring. It's the only marathon in the spring. It's the only Abbott World Marathon major, but there's still platinum-level you know, races. And if, and if Bekele, the, the caveat also is if Bekele still wants the world record, he won't be in Boston. He's going to go somewhere else, try to flan, f- find a flat course and go for it in the spring because age is catching up you know, every month that goes by. Well, Tokyo is still going to happen next year in March. So Boston, you can't run Boston and Tokyo realistically. But Of course you can. Of course you can. That's what I wanted to do. While you guys have been talking, I've been looking it up. The gap is exactly the same. It's March 3rd, April 18th. There's a six-week gap. He needs to sign up for both races. It's no. Clear, it's, it's clear that Josh Hermans doesn't trust this guy not to have races on the schedule. He stays motivated when he has something to focus on. So I only threw out the course records because I think he has to be motivated to train. So we do have – Boston is not the only game in town. There's Tokyo. I think that's where Kipchoge will go is Tokyo because of the Olympics, etc. So even if they're not going to get a world record in Tokyo, I think if he was going to race Kipchoge, that would motivate him to try to beat him. Um, that would be cool. Or do you, you try to just – yes, winning would be fine. I just want him to be trained to be to, to train, and I want to see him try to win. I I – me throwing out the course record, yeah, it's absurd. Can he even do it? I don't even know. I don't know if he can even can win these races, but it's much more interesting when he's trying to do it. But you're right about that Mutai record. Think about that. 205.06, no super shoes on New York, which is like close to two minutes slower than a flat course. So that's like a 203 flat without super shoes. That basically was the world record performance. That to me is just as good as you know the 201.39 really if you think about it and factor in the shoes and everything now the only but we do have the shoes so i think it's somebody can beat that kipchoge next year he says he wants to win all the majors i want to see him in i want to see him in boston attacking that now that's the guy who should be attacking the world records kipchoge we've said this robert boston in the spring new york in the fall go after the mutai course records it shuts up anyone who says oh he can't do it on the hilly courses and it gives American fans two chances to see the greatest marathoner of all time. That's what I want to see in 2022. I'll bet you money right now that Kipchoge goes to Tokyo. How much do you want to bet? I, I don't want to bet. I don't want to bet on him. I want to see him run Boston. I live in Boston. Like Having Kipchoge run the Boston Marathon would be amazing. So I don't want to bet on something that I don't want to happen. But anyway, any final Bekele takes or Berlin takes before we move on to London? All right. Let's move on to London, John. I assume we're going to devote almost our entire Friday 15 bonus podcast to London after the press conference has been held. We'll break it down in great detail. But for the people who haven't had the courage quite yet to sign up for our supporters club, let's talk a little bit about it right now. 
I haven't had a chance to look at the fields, but I know you have, John. What can we expect? Normally, this is the race, the marathon of the year, but there's no Kipchoge. Please tell me the fields are still loaded, though. Oh, Robert, there is no need to worry about that at all. Men's race, we have six guys who have run sub 204. That's the most in history, people. We've never had a race with six sub 204 guys on the start line. We've got three guys who've gone sub 203, which is also, I I haven't looked that up, but that's probably a record as well. So that's going to be incredible. The women's race is just as good. Five women sub 219, eight sub 220. Only the 2021 Olympic marathon is deeper. And I woke up this morning, Robert, at 5.45 a.m. to hop onto the the press conference live from London. And unfortunately, basically zero news came out of that because no one spoke English as their first language. So they had... Shirogatada, the defending champion. They had Bonhanu Legese, the fastest man in the field. And they had Evans Chibet from Kenya, who was the Valencia Marathon champion last year in 203 flat. And Legese and Katada had to speak in Amharic, I believe. Chibet was speaking Swahili. So everything was getting translated. There wasn't a lot to be gained, other than the fact that Katata t- revealed that he developed a hamstring injury before the Olympics. If you remember, he won the Ethiopian Olympic trials, and then he ended up dropping out at the Olympics. And that was why he had this hamstring issue. Still could be still kind of bothering him going into London, but he's running. I don't really blame him for getting paid and showing up. He's the defending champion. I'm sure he gets a nice check for that. So that's sort of the big thing that we learned. Katata, the defending champion, isn't at 100%. But the rest of the field is loaded and it should be very fast. Or should very fast if the weather cooperates. The weather right now looks horrible with 20 mile per hour winds on Sunday. Oh God, John, don't ruin it. Before, don't ruin my excitement before I even have a chance to pull up my dark sky app and look up the weather. I should. I knew I should have realized the world record wasn't going to happen in Berlin. It was too hot, but I just got out dark sky. My favorite app. Actually, you guys realize they've been bought by Apple? Apparently they're going to be in the... But it's not looking as bad as you saying. It's saying maybe the winds are going to get to 20 that day. But in the morning, 9 o'clock, 10, 11 miles an hour, not ideal. But temperatures are going to be pretty sweet at 53 degrees. Not sure what that is for you Celsius fans. So it's probably not going to be, but not too terrible. I hope. Robert, I just love how dedicated to this app you are. Like you've pronounced that whatever they're saying right now, we're recording on Wednesday morning. That is what the weather will be Sunday morning, guaranteed. And I just want to make you aware sometimes forecasts change. Like I think we need to start holding them accountable. We look at the forecast on a Monday or a Tuesday of marathon week and we see what the, the forecast, the weather actually is on the day. And then we can see if we're right to be praising them and saying dark sky is the greatest thing since sliced bread. You think I'm bad. I was reading a thread yesterday in Let's Run Forum about a guy with the early Boston Marathon forecast, which would be, what, two weeks out? It's gonna, apparently going to be a little bit warm, John, on um, Christopher Columbus Day or Native American Day or whatever it is. Indigenous Peoples Day, Robert. By the way, people think that I'm – I don't know. People think I go right wing and then left wing. I'm all for canceling Christopher Columbus Day. The more I think about it, just a side note. But I'm I'm excited for London. Yeah. So story. Here are a couple storylines to watch. So 
men's race, I mean, you've just got a bunch of, like, there's no Kipchoge. Essentially, this is the competition for best non-Kipchoge marathoner alive. Because you've got three guys who've run 202, which is Bonu Lagesse. He was second in Berlin in 2019 behind Bekele's 201. And then he's also won, he's lost two, he's lost four marathons. He's run, he's won Tokyo. He's run 202 in Berlin. He's won Tokyo again. Then he's run 203. So he's a stud. Mosnet Garamu, he's never finished lower than fourth in his seven career marathons. He's run, he ran 202 to get second in London in 2019 behind Kipchoge. And then Titus Ikiru, this guy is sort of the new guy on the scene. He is the world leader right now. He ran 202 in Milan in May. He's won six of his seven career marathons that he's finished. And I was speaking to one agent earlier this week, and he's like, look, if you haven't seen this guy, he's a little bit on the tall side, but he just looks like a natural-born marathoner. You know how some of those guys – I remember Dennis Comedo looked like he was born to run the marathon. Now, he, Dennis Comedo made him not the best example, but he did break the world record because he before he totally fell off the face of the earth. So Titus Akiro, I'm going to ex- be excited to see what he does against a big-time field. That's all I need to hear, John. This will be the tightest coming out party. You heard it here first. I mean, I will say this well then. Titus Akiru, that's like that's a good name. That's a strong name. I could see people saying like, wow, Titus Akiru, look at that guy go. You know, that's just a powerful marathon winning name right there. How many seconds do you think a good name is worth? Like Cosmos and Dieti. I mean, that like it was a name that just sounded fast. Certain certain names, they're just winning names. It's like, you know, when you go to the horse races, right, you just pick off which name sounds best. So why doesn't that work for running? I mean, it's I think no it different, does. Right? Well, and some of the, these people go through these lie their lives with these powerful names. You know, they start at the first race of their life, they show up and he thinks, I'm Titus Akiru, you know? They'll, they'll, or Haile Gebrselassie he shows up and he's like, I'm Haile Gebrselassie. They, they just sound like these fast names. So I think, it, I don't know if it's like an edge once you get to be a pro, but it's the boost of through your entire life just knowing you have a badass fast name. I feel like Maui Seidel is a very good running, very good kind of prominent name. I just feel like yeah, I feel like just we're in an age of Molly's. I don't know if Molly Seidel doesn't really strike me as like, oh, wow, it's the greatest name, but. And I, I honestly feel like this is why it took Ilya Kipchoge a while to take to the marathon. It's it's just, there's a little too much. It's just not as, it's not Cosmos and Dieti or Titus. What interests me about him and Adola, by the way, is how old they are. I mean, this guy's he's saying this is his coming out party, John. He's 29. It's not like he's a young chicken. He didn't start running. I mean, there's nothing on Telestopcha, the results database that we paid for, until 2017, when he would have been 25 years of age. I mean, absolutely zero results. He runs. He won Seville that year on 207.43 on February 19th. That is literally his first result at all. It's just a marathon win in Seville. Um, hasn't raced very many halves. Has a 61.02 half marathon PB. Nadal is 30. So kind of interesting like you think that these guys would be spotted before then yeah i don't know but he he's one definitely to keep your eye on but th- i mean the whole we, we've got two or three guys like evans chebet i didn't even mention him he won valencia last year which 
you know, the quality of that field was pretty close to London in terms of quality. Uh, Cissé Lemma, he was third in London last year. And then Kinde Atana, he's been battling injuries the last couple of years. He's from Ethiopia, but he won Valencia in 2019. And then Vincent Kimchumba, another tall Kenyan like Kiro, he was one second away from winning London last year. Like this field is just inc- the amount of talent here is incredible. It is the race of the fall. And I think it's going to be fa- fascinating to see which one of these starts. I mean, you're going to get at minimum someone who's run two flat, two or three flat or faster will finish fourth or worse that's guaranteed to happen we're gonna have a 202 guy guaranteed to be third or worse that's how good this field is and i assume the women's press conference is tomorrow john or is that going on as we speak i hope no the women i the women's press conference is tomorrow it's at 6 30 instead of 6 a.m eastern time so a little easier for me to wake up and watch that one but the women's race is also really good the big storyline here is that pretty much all the top women are going to be doubling back from the Olympics. If you got, you've got world record holder Bridget Kosgai, she got the silver medal. Lona Chemtai Solpeda, she's the Tokyo champion from 2020. She was in the hunt. She was battling Molly Seidel for the bronze until she totally fell apart the last few miles. She had these cramps due to her period. She's running. Rosa Derege, she was fourth at the Olympics. She's running. Bahan Dababa from Ethiopia. She's won Tokyo twice. She dropped out of the Olympics. She's running. Those are the fourth, four fastest women in the field based on personal best. And all of them are doubling back from the Olympics, which was just eight weeks ago. So that's going to be the big storyline. Can any of these big talents double back? Or will it be someone else like Jocelyn Jip Kozgai, who's the New York City champion? Or Tigis Goma, who won the Ethiopian trials she was a last-minute withdrawal from the Olympics. She Eight days before the race, I think, she tested positive for COVID, couldn't fly over. She had to be replaced. She didn't get to run the Olympics, but she is running London. So she's a big talent, too. You win the Ethiopian Olympic trials, clearly you're one of the best marathoners in the world. But it can't all just be Olympians, John, because there are five Ethiopians in this race that have broken 220, and actually a sixth at 220.14. Some of these women should just get on a plane or just – pull out of out, out of uh, London right now and fly to Chicago. They would be guaranteed to get second or third there. I mean, the Chicago women's field is so weak. This women's, women's field is so amazing. But David Monty of Race Results Weekly has, has written an article about the time bonuses here. I mean, London, <clears throat> like, first place is only $55,000, which isn't very much considering uh, Boston pays like $150,000 New York pays more. Actually, Berlin, they only paid 20,000 euros, I think, for first. Is that right? It was nothing in terms of prize money. But um, London pays out $55,000 for first, but it's tons of time bonuses. It doesn't matter what place you get. Sub-202 is $150,000. Sub-203, $100,000. Sub-204, $75,000. Sub-205, $50,000. So, you know, I'm excited. That does help you get a faster race. But that bothers me a little bit the more I think about it. Like, to me, the focus on the race should be winning. So, I don't know. Like, if they're going to pay out those those bonuses, they they should make the biggest bonus of all winning the race, $200,000 or something. I mean, I'm sure their appearance fee goes way up the next year, but it's kind of an interesting way to, to you know, to think about it. Um, so, a world record would be worth $300,000. I've done the math. It's going to be a great race. The men's, I mean, um, looking at the women's side, you've got to think, Cosguy, if she's recovered... 
she has to be, you know, she's going to win. She's run 2.14.04. That's three and a half minutes faster than anyone else in this field. She was second at the Olympics, but the woman who beat her in Sapporo, Perez Jepichichia, she's running New York. She's not running this race. And if you look at the last four races before the Olympics, Bridget Cosguy was just destroying fields. No one was coming within a minute or two minutes of her in most of these races. In London last year, I don't know if you guys remember, the conditions were horrible, pouring rain, it was windy. And yet Cosguy, she runs 218.58. No one else wrote 222. That's how amazing this woman is. So if she's recovered, she's in a class of her own. But if she's not, you got a bunch of different women who are in, in shape to win this, I think. I really like Jocelyn Jip Cosguy. Her two marathons have gone really, really well. She almost broke the course record in New York when she debuted in 2019. Last year, she was second in Valencia. The only woman who beat her there was Perez Jepchirchir, who we just saw win the Olympics. And in her half marathon as a tune-up for this race, Jip Cosguy won the Berlin half in 65-16. So she's fit right now. I think she, outside of Cosguy, I think she's probably the woman to beat. Is this just a London flex? Like they're just flexing their muscles to see how just to prove to everybody that the insiders like us are the best. Like Jeb Prescott, she's the reigning New York champion. She doesn't even bother to go back to New York. London's going to pay her to be more probably to be one of the eight women under two twenty in their field. It is, Robert. It's like this was the big question we had going into the full marathon season with all six majors. Now it's down to five with Tokyo canceled. They're all competing for the same people. Who is going to get the best races? You know, they're all head to head. And look, London has the biggest budget. Let's not exactly, let's not pretend this is a level playing field. But at the same time, I, you know, I was like, okay, London will be a little weaker than usual. And, you know, you might lose a star like Jep Jep Cosguy. She'll be the defending champion in New York. She'll go back to New York, right? Wrong. No, London, this is fields just as good as usual. The caveat, though, is they do have a bunch of people coming back from the Olympics. So if, you know, two or three of them drop out, suddenly that field's not quite as impressive. But no, this London field's as good as ever. Though, obviously, you know, no Kipchoge, the men's field, that's it's not as great as it possibly could be, but it's still, re- it's about as good as you can get without having Kipchoge available. All right, enough London talk. I want to talk about the slightly less prestigious Quad Cities Marathon somewhere in the United States. What is the Quad Cities? Is that like Minnesota or something? No, I believe well, the Quad the Big 7 was that's in the Quad Cities, right? I think it's like Iowa. And I think there's one of the cities is in Illinois. Um oh, oh, here we I, go. I, excuse me, the TBK Quad Cities Marathon. Well, it says Moline, Illinois, so part of it's in Illinois. But anyways, at this race I'm going to try to leave names out of it. I don't want people going after the, this person that I'm not happy with how they acted. I don't, I don't, I don't think you make a mistake in life. I don't think it should follow you for the rest of your life on the internet, but it's an interesting case here. So, you know, this is a small race with like a $3,000 first prize, $500 extra. If you break like 220 or 222. Anyways, there was a couple Kenyans um, that had broken free. We're in the lead. They're approaching like 30K. They had like supposedly a 20-second lead on an American. And they're following the bike. The lead bicycle takes the wrong turn. The Kenyans follow the bicycle, as I think you and I would too. If the bike goes the wrong way, I'm going the wrong way. And 
the guy in third, the American, knew that they went the wrong way, didn't try to say anything, and he ends up winning the race, celebrating. There's a big photo of him at the finish. And then after the race, he made no apologies for it. Here's the quote from the Quad City Times. It was pretty obvious where to go out there, so I don't know what went on. I was about 20 seconds back, so I kind of saw it happening, but I'm not going to shout. It's not my job. This quote disgusted me. And I started a thread about it last night. You know, I, I said the segment last week, what I learned on the message board, well, what you can learn on the message board. I didn't actually learn about this in the message board. The Google app gave me this article. I said, sportsmanship at its worst, one or new marathon leaders are running off course, doesn't say anything, and celebrates marathon win. To me, this is very disturbing. I would take no joy in this victory. I mean, maybe he was 20 seconds back. Maybe he could have won. But, you know, and also the person that won this race is a college coach. And I just feel like, look, we've got to be teaching people. It's just not about like who comes first. You want to do it the right way. You don't want to be cheating. You don't want to be winning because somebody else makes a mistake. Like, I just thought this was really, really, really wrong. I've started a thread about it. It's gotten a lot of traction. I started last night, like one in the morning. There's already four pages. Here we are less than 12 hours later. Some people are like, oh, well, it wouldn't have mattered. You know, they couldn't have heard him. They're a hundred yards ahead. First of all, have you ever been in an, at an outdoor track? I used to yell 200-meter splits across the track. You can yell 100 yards. People can hear you. Secondly, I don't care if they would have heard him. He admitted that he didn't want to yell, shout. And I think he should have shouted. And I think this is really wrong. And I think colleges have actually taught kids, like, it's just a money grab. Do whatever's in your best self-interest. The conference realignments is disgusting to me. And I feel like we need to be teaching young people, it's just not about you, 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 you. We have to be worried about other people. To me, I thought this was a really poor display of sportsmanship. What about you guys? Well, for the record, the Quad Cities are Davenport and Bettendorf, Iowa, and Rock Island and Moline, Illinois. So I was right about that. I agree with you, Robert. I I was the first thing I thought when you told me that story was would they have been able to hear him 20 seconds away? I'm not certain, but if he really, really screams, probably. I agree it's bad it's bad sportsmanship. You know? I don't know how you can feel great about yourself after winning a race when the top two guys ran off course, you never know. It would have been nice if it was an unfortunate mistake, but yeah, it's it's not great sportsmanship. Shout out to the race director because he gave both Kinden guys two thousand bucks. I think first place was three thousand. Robert, is that correct? Yeah, he would have won thirty five hundred, and second place would have been two thousand. He didn't have to do anything. I would have gi- given more if it was my race because it was a mistake by the race that they went off course. But I, I think it's terrible sportsmanship. I've personal experience with this with a very prominent coach one of the leading coaches formerly of the ncaa and now in the world i don't know if john knows this story robert do you remember the name of the race i do not remember the name of the race but i think i was there on a bike i think i saw it unfold it was near the finish controversial move it was not near you did not see it take I felt place like I you might have been at the finish I don't remember the name of the race either. That's why I was hoping Robert will remember. There's a big photo of me holding a big prize money check somewhere in the archives. 
Can you guys actually tell the story at some point? I'll tell the story. Weldon was that we used to find there used to be a book called Road Race Management. Back before the internet, you would buy this book and it had all the races with prize money in it, and you try to obscure find obscure road races to make pick up money on the weekends. It still exists. Okay. But now it's everyone knows about them for the most part. And Weldon found a race in Northern Virginia. And I don't even know the distance of the race. But there was not just one prominent NCAA coach, another prominent NCAA, well, less prominent, but Weldon was in a race. I, I, t- correct me if I'm wrong, but he was racing Chris Fox, the man who guided guarded, guided Syracuse to the NCAA Cross Country Championships. This is actually the race that put Chris Fox into retirement, as well as Kevin Germain, who was Weldon's roommate, who ended up being the Duke Cross Country coach, and now I think is coaching maybe at Elan or something like that. That is correct. I was racing a 40-year-old Chris Fox, I believe. I think he's over 40. And I was like, wow, that is old. So I'm leading the race, John. We look up this race. There's like a $1,000 bonus if you break the course record. The course record is like, it's a 10K. It's like 33-something. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I had just broken 30 for the first time on the track. And I'm like, well, this, even if it's like up Mount Everest, I think I can break it. But Robert and I go drive the course, and it's really hilly. But I'm like, I still think I can do a 33 minute. So we start out, you know, no Kenyans there. That's a good sign. And, you know, I guess the, well, a guy who I live with is a miler, Kevin Germain, and some old white guy you know, running next to me. So I'm not too worried. I'm feeling really good. There's a car, a convertible car leading us. And I don't know, past halfway, I'm feeling really good. I've never done this, but I, I'm dropping the hammer, baby. Bye bye. I'm clear. I'm like, and I'm confident. I, I know I'm going to break the record. I've got the race one. I'm like, wow, this is great. Just running, falling behind the car. And I hear this behind me. Hey. And I look and I see the two guys who are behind me. I don't know. They're probably like 50 yards behind me, a hundred. I don't know. Turning left. And I'm like, I look at the car in front of me and I'm like, I see them go left. And then I see more guys going left. And I'm like, uh-oh, we're off course. So I turn back around, sprint and catch up, and Chris Fox, I love this guy. He's like, good luck, dude, you got this. Like, there was no attempt, like, that this was his race or anything. I got a little mad at Kevin, because this guy lived in my house. <laughs> he's, he stays right with me. There's no good luck or anything. And then, like, he's trying to outkick me at the end. But well, I still got the win, baby running extra distance and everything. So I have firsthand experience with this, but I've always been, it was just great sportsmanship by Chris. He yelled out, hey, I assume it was him. Maybe it was Kevin. They were both great about it, but they could have said nothing and let me just run off into the sunset. This is actually fascinating to think about because Kevin almost coached Duke to an NCAA women's cross-country title. Weren't they second? I know they were on the podium. So, I mean, the running world is so small. It's crazy, right? I was just some Joe Blow. Let's Run didn't even exist at this time. I'm some Joe Blow in Washington, D.C., a 30-minute 10K hack. No way to ever think I'll get fourth in the country, start some running website, and be doing it 25 years later. Chris Fox is not a coach anywhere at this time. He's known as being, what, probably... Married to the woman who finished fourth at the Olympic trials? Well, Chris was also a pretty darn fast runner himself, Well, then, Like, he was a 
a top, you know, top US pro during the 1990s. I know he was good, but um, just kind of joking. And then I don't know. Kevin wasn't a coach either at that time. Became coach Vincia runner up. Well, this story was exceptionally long winded, but I did enjoy it. And my, I already, I already had respect for Chris Fox, but my respect just went up from this gesture. So I enjoyed hearing that. And we all learned where the Quad Cities are. Breaking news report, breaking news report. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, guys. I just went to the front page. I guess Steve updated it while we were talking. I started a thread several weeks ago. Should I buy Steve Prefontaine's 1970 NCAA cross-country bib? Be good to have in the Let's Run.com Hall of Fame, or we can have it up on the wall. Starting bid was $5,000. I felt like that was actually a reasonable thing, since everything seems to be going up in price. But it's sold. Have you guys seen the price? No. Well, if it, the starting bid was $5,000? That was like the minimum. You know, they weren't going to sell it unless it was $5,000. Uh, oh, then I'm going to say $17,000. Pretty close, John. I had seen the winning bid $26,734.80 for Prefontaine's 1970 NCAA cross country champion bib. Yeah. I had pretty much the winning bid up until twenty five thousand. Just kidding. I had to, I had to drop off because if I get up, you know, if I'd gotten that high, John, you would have demanded a raise. You know, John's like, wait a minute, they're paying twenty six thousand dollars for a bib. Why aren't they paying me more? So I had to back off. No, I never actually bid it. But well, I'm curious. I, I want to meet the guy who 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 has twenty six thousand dollars to drop on some fifty year old race bib. I'm kind of curious. John, I'll probably turn it into an NFT. Probably worth two million soon. All right. Well, that's at least somewhat respectable use of the breaking news music. I know that sometimes we get a little overzealous with it. I was not aware of this news. I don't know when this bib actually sold. Did it sell like today or yesterday? Or is this just lo- the news that we learned about today? Probably the latter. But. While we're busy talking about stories involving Weldon Johnson, let's go to another story dear to him as the 1998 Marine Corps Marathon champion. I'm sure Weldon was looking forward to the race returning this year. It's been canceled. Now, this race is put on by the Marines. And I assume it's been canceled because the Marines, the military has some you know strict rules about they can't have any meetings with more than 25 or 50 people. I get it. That's for the military. They don't, but to me, they should make exceptions. This is a, this is a public event. This isn't a military event. I think that the average uh, cadet or average military person is able to understand. Like we at the military have to be super strict because we could go to war, but we can sort of relax the rules for the average person. So I'm not real happy with this. That being said. It doesn't bother me too much. My one thing on COVID is we all have different degrees of, risk that we're willing to take and if a private organization or or person wants to be more cautious i'm not generally going to criticize that i just don't like this because it's a little bit of public event but what really bothers me is this nike decision nike has canceled the nike cross nationals this is the high school cross country nationals in america and again my 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 normal rule would be if you want to be more if a private organization wants to be more cautious i'm fine with that we have a global pandemic 
But I want you to be intellectually consistent, and there's no intellectually consistency here. At least the military is being consistent. They're not going to bend that rule for anybody. Nike is going – they put out this press release, and it just was crazy the way it was worded. It's like we're going to – for the first year ever, we're going to have nine regions. Normally, they have eight regions. So they're expanding their regional competition. They're going to – it's not like they're canceling meets. It's not like they're worried about COVID. But they're having more regional meets, but for some reason, they're not going to hold nationals. Like that to me just – doesn't make any sense. If you're really worried about COVID, then cancel all the damn meets. If you're not worried about COVID, then hold the national meet. Don't go halfway between and confuse people. It's this lack of intellectual consistency that really makes people question anything that the authorities are saying to them because people are like, okay, if you're just going to make up rules, like why should I follow any rules? Robert, it's just all about liability. They're a big corporation. They don't want to be on the hook when they're paying to fly in I don't know how many hundreds of high school kids to the Nike campus, putting them up in hotels. You know, they're sort of waving the white flag. When other people, when way more kids are congregating probably in the same hotels but paying their own way, they're fine with them doing the exact same things, getting the same risk. But when it's on their dime, they don't want it to happen. It's all for show, liability, whatever, however you want to put it. Um, hopefully someone else steps forward and has an, a nationals for these kids. And this is a great opportunity for Foot Locker as well because Foot Locker is going to go on this year, I assume. I mean, we're, we're showing we can have safe sporting events outdoors. The Vienna Marathon put out a press release this week saying that they've shown zero cases of COVID from this year's races. We're seeing college football, which was said to be a, a super spreader event by Fauci. The CDC actually put out a statement yesterday saying that they're not seeing that at all. So that's good news. So scientists can be, you know, even smart ones can sort of be wrong. And outdoor events, if they're shown to be safe, that's great for running. Well, well, then I do think that there are going to be other meets. Remember, we had the the running lane national championships in Alabama last year. And from what I understand, Kyle Merber in his newsletter said that Newbury Park, who was the NXN champions in 2019, they've already committed to going to that meet. So I'm hoping that other teams will follow suit because Newbury Park, I don't know if you guys realize this could be the greatest cross country team in the history of high school running. They're insanely good. Well, they've got two, bro- two, two sets of brothers that are unreal. Okay, yeah, but I mean, yeah, the Young brothers. The Young family is absurd. Nico Young, you guys remember him, NAU, fourth NCAA cross this year, NXN individual champion 2019. He's got two younger brothers who are twins, Lex and Leo Young. They both ran ran 843 for Lex and 855 for Leo at Arcadia in April. Neither of them were the fastest guy on the team. That was Colin Salmon, who ran 843. And then they had another guy, Daniel Appleford, Sub nine. And then earlier this season at the Woodbridge Classic a few weeks ago, they had four guys under 1350 for three miles, which is just absurd. Like Leo Young won the race. He broke the the meet record, national three mile record, actually, for Leo Young. So this team is absurdly stacked. And I think it would be, you know, seeing them run at NXN, it would have been great to compare. But hopefully, most of those teams can all run together so we can see how they stack up historically ultimately i would love it if just like all their guys show up at foot locker and they try to have like four guys go to foot lockers because that would be pretty crazy Uh, i've got a little information here i was talking on the phone last yesterday john with one of the top high school runners in alabama 
he wanted a little college advice, and I was happy to give it to him. And he's more dialed into the, you know, high school stuff than, than I am. Um, he, yeah, he can turn. He confirmed that the, the running lane thing might be the national championships. But what disturbs me about this is running lane's been pushed back just so that Newberry Park will show up. So it's going to be December fourth. But guess what? Footlocker Regionals West Region December fourth. So that means these guys, four of the top, Newberry Park probably has four of the top twenty guys in the country, will not be a Footlocker. So, I mean, I guess, I don't know why Newberry Park cared about the team stuff. I'm surprised they just didn't put them in individual. I guess they have this big team culture, so they're worried about, you know, they want to have it. So, Foot Locker is going to be diluted again. Newberry Park is going to kind of be the NXN of the year, I think. And there's also going to be a meet in Lubbock, Texas for the small schools, the small school national championship those people are putting on. So, if you're in a smaller school, go to Lubbock. If you're a bigger school, go to this running lane meet in Alabama. But... I just realized that the dates are going to conflict with the regional. But when I was talking to this high school Alabama, the kid from Alabama, he's just like, oh, I'm going to go to running lane. I'm like, well, what about Foot Locker? Don't you want to make Foot Locker? He's like, well, maybe I could, but he was all into that. But I guess he doesn't have to travel. It's it's right next door to him. Well, yeah, I mean, the dates hit. The problem is the season's so late that the California state meets the last weekend in November. So if you want to have, I mean, Foot Locker West has to be the first weekend in December. And then... Footlock Nationals is the weekend after that. If you push things back any further, then you're getting into like around Christmas time. It's just a really, really long cross country season for high schoolers. So it's kind of unfortunate. There's not a great solution there. But I just hope there's opportunities for the best to race against the best because that's really what we always want to see in in cross country and in, in running in general. Okay, guys, I want to pivot to something. This was a tweet that turned into a Let's Run message board thread and it has been the subject of heated discussion began with David Monty after the Berlin Marathon on Sunday. Wait, John, the Let's Run message boards, the purpose of them isn't just for toxicity and hate to be spewed on the internet. Uh, that's what some people are saying on Twitter. That's what some people say. Sometimes people it's like It's not to- like what Robert said earlier. We like having an open discussion and sometimes there's problems, issues with that. Not like we delu- don't del- delete thousands of posts every month. We do try to stay on top of it as best we can, Weldon. Sometimes people cross the line and we try to ban them. Uh, I think, you know, but anyway, no, we, I know we try to ban them. But anyway, as I'm pivoting, sometimes someone will pose a genuinely interesting running question and it will generate dis- a lively discussion. I think that's one of the best things about a site. And in this case, I thought David Monty's tweet was the subject of a very interesting question because he said sub-elite men trying to race elite women at the end of a road race is the worst. And there are some sub some, you know, women felt, hey, yeah, you they're robbing these women at that moment of glory. And then some men chimed in. It's like, well, wait, are you telling me I'm not allowed to race all the, all out to the finish line? Like I'm not to, allowed to give my all if I'm close to finishing alongside an elite women. So I have an opinion on this. I w- I'm sure you guys have an opinion on this. I'll let you, w- Rojo, Wajo, if one of you guys is, has a strong opinion, please weigh in. Let me know how you feel. You're allowed to race to the line, John. At some point, maybe there's some unwritten rules that some people might want to let up. Like, let's say I'm a in my prime and I'm racing some 14 year old kid or some seven year old or something at some point, should you just sort of like let up, but it's sort of disrespectful. I mean, it, it, 
the point of the race is to get to the line as fast as possible, and everybody should do that. So I, I don't see how you can criticize it. I see how some people don't want to do it. And if the person's winning the race, I think there's different complications there. Not sure if you want to share David's follow-up email or if you're allowed to, John. He essentially mentioned that this dated from the Berlin Marathon. Uh, I, you know, I, the top German woman, there was a man who was sort of racing her to the finish. And then eventually they pulled him aside. He finished a, a you know, slightly different area. And I think that's the best thing here is because it's in it come it's sorry sorry let me let me re, restate that whole thing because i was just bundling that um and also like uh, well, i feel like the the guys when they hang on the women's elite pack i think that's poor form for some reason so yeah david mentioned it came from the Berlin marathon it was about the top woman in the the, the top german in the women's race rabia schoneborn and there was a man who was racing her essentially. And then right at the end, the organizers sort of had him finish a little bit to the side, which makes sense to me because that is the one situation. I think it's incumbent upon race directors. When you have someone who's going to be either the top, you know, you have a finish line tape for them or it's the overall winner or something like that, where there's really a special meaning and there's, you know, of breaking the tape of crossing the line of winning that sort of thing. I think you should just have the organizers just sort of have have them sort of yell out to the man or direct him to the side slightly so he's not ruining this photo opportunity of breaking the tape. All other situations, I think it's totally fair game to be racing a sub-elite woman to the finish line. But I do get, like, if someone's about to break a big record or have this finish line crossing the finish line, you know, tape, I think at that point the race organizers need to kind of step in and just direct the man to the side. But... It's kind of hard to just, you know, I want to beat everyone I'm racing against, man or woman. So I, I don't blame these guys for racing hard, but I think the race organizers need to step in if it's going to ruin a potentially glorious moment like this. I see both sides of this, but I don't have any problem with what happened in Berlin. The guy was racing this woman. She happened to be the top German. He realized he was going to mess up the photo, so he went off to the side. He did the right thing. I've got a problem if you keep it going and you go right to the finish and, you, you know, you lunge at the finishing tape. I mean, you got to 100 yards out, realize what's going on and get the hell out of the way. And that's what he did. So, But uh, other, they can't race? Why not? I mean, people are like, oh, well, they're professional runners, and you're not. No one cares what you do. People care what they do. Come on. No, they're all in the same race. If you don't want them in the same race, then just you know, start them separate times or something. But this reminds me, uh, it, this guy did the right thing. Like Now, I will say this. It does annoy me, like, in, early in the race, you know, I've seen this, like, you know, if you're a, a two- 40 marathoner and there's some woman she's running 225 pace and you try to run 225 pace just because you don't want to lose to a woman stop being an asshole stop being sexist run your own damn race so you shouldn't go out of your way to run with a woman but if you're battling it out at the end hey that's a race and i i think this is i put this on the message board it reminds me of we often think everything's sexism it's not necessarily because i was racing once Walden can't remember the remember his, his name of his road race i can't remember the name of this one either it's probably the late 1990s. It's either a 10-mile or a half marathon. And Bill Rogers and I are running side-by-side almost the entire damn race. And I somehow realized, like, he's setting some Masters 50-plus world record. And I get to, like, you know, with a mile to go, and I remember thinking to myself, all right, you better either get way ahead of him or let Bill kick your ass. You're not going to be sprinting in with Bill. I don't want to be in any damn photos. I don't want to take his moment. I just – I don't want to be accused of that. 
So I don't remember who won. By the way, if anyone can find this race, can we find out Bill's like road races? It was Northern Virginia. It was in Virginia somewhere. Virginia Beach. Wasn't it like Shamrock Shuffle or something? Okay. Let's look it up. Was it a half marathon? Marathon. It must have been 98 or 99. Got to find it up. Thank you, Weldon. But, you know, I got out of the way. When Weldon paced Paula Radcliffe, the same thing. He paced her for 25 of the 26 miles. And then he thought to himself, I either need to get way ahead of her or get way behind her. And he thought, I'm kind of tired. So, Paula, go enjoy your moment. So, as long as you're not taking the moment from them, that's fine. I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, Chicago made it explicit in my contract. Do not finish next to her. Like, you know, let her have her moment. Fair or foul, the guys who hang on to the women's lead pack for TV and shit. I mean, I don't really have an issue with that. If you're trying oh, to do. run, if you're trying to run two twenty, like you don't want to be. I don't think you should be right next to them. But if they have a pack of people and they're running two twenty, you know they're running two twenty, and you want to run two twenty, and you've never broken two twenty, I don't mind if you're hanging off the back of that pack. No, but I have a real problem if you're hanging near the front and trying to get on TV. Huge problem with that. And when I was pacing Catherine and Dereba, that was part of my job, was pushing these guys, like, get the hell out. Let the women, this is an elite professional women's race. You happen to be running the same pace as them. Do not get on TV. Do not get in front of them. You need to get out of the way and, and not, you know, particularly with the water stuff, let them get into the water. I, I do think you need to have some of that. Yeah, you don't want to. I, that's that's a fair point, Robert. That it is a professional race for the win. You know, you don't want to be interfering with their water stations or anything like that. But if you can, if you can hang back a little bit and just use them as a guide, I don't really have an issue with. Them. Yeah, but half times they're like clipping the heels and creating problems. But twenty six miles is a long time. TV coverage being kind of boring. So occasionally, I like watching the Joker, who's you can see them like suffering just trying to hang on there for as much TV time as possible becomes kind of amusing at some point. Well, I would also think late in the race, you think these women might like some company. If you were both trying to run the same time and this woman, someone's clear of the field and you're both trying to run like two nineteen flat, that might be helpful for an elite woman. True, true, John. But, but usually it goes one direction. The men fall off the back. When I pace Paula, nobody made it to the finish. I mean, she made a huge negative split, but there was a, a couple guys, you know, early on, there's probably like 20 guys around, then 10, then five, four, three, two, one, no one. Yeah. I think it calls for common sense. Like if you, if you talk to the woman during the race or something and say, Hey, like you want some company and they just shake you off or something, then yeah, go away. But you know, I, I don't know. I think it sort of can be case by case. I do think Robert's, common sense thing about the finish line. Like, yeah, if you're going to ruin the moment, get yourself out of that situation. Otherwise, if there's no moment to ruin, I don't mean, mind you, racing all the way. And that leads us to the tweet of the week from the GOAT, the greatest American all-time female distance runner is voted by you all of Let's Run.com. Dina Castor, friend of the podcast, she responded to David Monty. Ha ha, that pressure... Brings out the best in everyone. I remember my first road race at age 12 and getting out kicked by an older man. I patted him on the back and said, congratulations, that won't happen again. <laughs> it's just further evidence that even at age 12, Dina Castor is the coolest person in the world. All right, guys. I think this is the perfect segue to our interview. The regular podcast should be over. We've been talking about the last American 
Olympic marathon medalist before Molly Seidel, Gina Castor. But up next, we have Let's Run.com podcast listener who sat next to Seidel on the plane and knew who she was, got to see her Olympic medal on the way back from Tokyo. Totally cool story. So here he is. You definitely want to listen to Zach next. This Molly Seidel story is really cool. And he's actually very fast himself. He just got 18th at Roy Griak. He's trying to help Santa Clara make the NCAAs for the first time ever. He randomly ran into Craig Engels, did a workout with him one time, got some cool stories. Definitely worth a listen. But just a reminder, this is your first time listening to the podcast. Hit subscribe in your podcast player. Give us a rating on iTunes. We appreciate it. And two offers for you. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run to try electrolytes without the junk. It costs $5 shipping. You get six different flavors sent to you. I will refund your $5 if you don't like this stuff. I love it. Electrolytes, no carbohydrates, no junk. Try it now. And it's the final month to try the Airway Performance Mouthpiece and save 10%. It's a mouthpiece designed to help you recover faster, run faster. Yes, you got to check it out. Airwave.com. Use code LR10 to save 10%. That means you can get the Airway Performance Mouthpiece for $36. Check out the links in the show notes. We're joined by Zach Lidoff. He's got a very cool story. And he's a way faster runner than I thought. We just said he was a podcast listener. He runs for the University of Santa Clara. He just got 18th at Roy Griak. He made NCAAs last year in the steeplechases, run 842 for the steeple. And he's a graphic designer and a student. And he sat next to Molly Seidel when she returned from Tokyo. So this is going to be a great talk. Zach, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Super stoked to be on this after listening for multiple of these, to be honest, pretty cool. And thanks for the introduction. That was super nice. Wait, wait a minute. I want to confirm. This is not the guy Weldon that mansplained to Molly Seidel. This is a fan of Molly Seidel because I don't want to be, I don't have $5,000 to be handing out. Just want to make sure that we still haven't found the person that we, Molly Seidel was complaining about. It wasn't you, Zach, right? She wasn't complaining about you? No, no. Yeah, no, I heard that 5000 thing and I got texts from some of my friends and they're like, everyone knew it wasn't me because right after she tweeted that, I had tons of my friends like message me on Instagram being like, you sure you sat next to her? Like, do you want it? And I was like, no, no, that wasn't me. Like, um, Basically, I think that was either on the flight from Denver to Flagstaff that she did after the flight with me or some other flight. Because on this one, I sat next to her and I basically knew who she was right away. And I told her that I knew who she was. And I didn't show her any Strava. But I, I don't know. $5,000 was enticing. So I had to send in, send in an email and be like, I sat next to Molly on a plane. Like, but you know how that goes. I mean, I felt like a pit in my stomach. I felt sorry for Robert because I said, Robert, you're paying the 5000 bucks. Mm-hmm. You were out in California, I think, what, San Francisco, visiting your girlfriend? Exactly. So take it from there. Basically, just like quick precursor, me and my team were in Park City training for the summer. We had gotten like an Airbnb out in Park City. And like it was near the end. So I was taking uh, a quick like trip to San Francisco to visit my girlfriend. And then I was going to fly home to Denver to visit my family just like for a couple days in each place before going back to school for preseason and the whole season when I wasn't going to see anyone for a while. And I'm in San Francisco visiting my girlfriend and I go for a run in the morning and then I'm going to take the public transportation to the airport. 
So I'm in this huge rush because I've never really done that before. And I end up missing my bus to the train. And then I miss my train to the airport. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to be so late. But it was okay. I was like, I'll probably figure out a way to make it work. So I end up getting off the train at SFO, which is the airport in San Francisco. And it's three minutes after my flight had started boarding. And at this point, I'm like in the train. Everyone's like looking at me weird because I'm like starting to like get ready to book it. I've like gone through my backpack and like grabbed my running shoes, swapped them out for like my regular Nike sneakers that I walk around in. I'm like waiting for the door to open like it's a starting line of like a race. And like right as it opens up, I just like take off through the airport. Luckily, I was TSA free. So I book all the way through. But it's like anyone who's been to SFO knows it's like it's not a big airport, but it's definitely not a small airport. Like I got to the point where you're running with a backpack where like you get past the initial run and you're just tired, but still running and like make it to the security. Some the guy like laughs at me. He's like, you must be really late for your flight. <laughs> like, yeah, but I, like make it through security. No one stops me. I get lucky. And I keep booking it all the way to my gate, which is like near the back of the airport. And like I show up and I can see there's still people in line to board. And like they haven't even, I'm actually the last boarding group and they haven't yet gotten to me. So I like pull up, take a, a seat down, just like try to catch my breath right before I'm up next. And I'm all sweaty and like kind of don't want to be near anyone. And I realized like right across from me in the aisle is this girl, uh, Brooke Rabatou, and she's a climber for Team USA. And I was like kind of shocked because um, I knew she was from Boulder because my mom and her mom were good friends. And we were actually like climbing partners when I was five. And I like just seen her on the Olympics when I was in Park City with my whole team because we were super into the climbing. And I like quickly I, like, was like, oh, this is sweet. Like probably some of the like climbers because I bet all the climbers are from Colorado because I don't know, I was tired and I was like climbing's huge in Colorado. And I knew she was there. And a couple of the other climbers were also on the flight. So I like started up a really brief conversation. I was like, oh, you probably don't remember me, but like, we climbed together, like nice job at the Olympic. She was like, Oh yeah, thank you. Like kind huh? of small talk basically. But then they started boarding our group. So I get up, get in line. Don't really think much of it. Like, cool. I got to meet an Olympian. I'm like texting my friends who are all into climbing. Like, yo, I just talked to like Brooke. Like that was crazy. Cool experience. Um, but I'm kind of like, that was sweet. But like now I got like a two and a half hour flight. So I'll get through it. And I'm in the very back of the plane because the cheapest flights are all the way in the back. And I kind of bought it last second. Um, so I like slowly board the plane on my phone, like walking all the way to the back. Don't really think much of it. And I get to the back and there's this man in my seat, like standing, like looking at me as I'm like walking down the aisle. I'm like, oh, this is interesting, but like, whatever. Like, I wonder why I'm probably gonna have to tell him he's in the wrong seat or something, but it'll be fine. So I get to the back and he, I, he like stops me. He's like, hey, is this your seat? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I have like a proposition for you. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, so my daughter is there and like points up a couple rows. And then he's like, and there's this random lady there. And then my seat's like way in the front up in like 7B. And he's like, if you switch with me, then this person will switch with my daughter and she can sit here and I can sit here and we can be next to each other. And I was like, okay, so where do you want me to switch? And he's like, 7B. And I was something C, like in the very back. So I had like an, an aisle seat and I was super stoked and I was going to switch with this guy for a middle, but he wanted to be near his daughter and I was like, okay, whatever. In the back of my mind, I'm like, there's a chance. Like I sit next to Brooke or somewhere near her and I can like keep talking to some of these climbers. Like I'll take that risk. And like this guy wanted to be next to his daughter. So I, I was like, sure. Like good gesture. Good gesture. Yeah. Good gesture. Trying to be nice out here. <laughs> but I was like, I, I was like, okay, but like, I'm not going to move until everyone's finished boarding the plane. Cause I'm at the back and seven's in the front and I'm just going to be causing an issue. 
So I'm like awkwardly jamming next to this dude. So there's not four people in our like row, just like all standing for like a couple minutes. It was pretty terrible. And I'm sweaty because I just booked it through here. And I like, kind of felt bad for him because I'm sweaty and gross. And he's looking at me like, why is this guy sweaty? But like, he's switching with me. So I'll just won't say anything and be nice. And I'm like, okay. And then I eventually bore, I like get to my thing and I walk all the way up. And I'm still kind of tired because I just ran. I'm still also kind of in shock because I just talked to Brooke. And now I'm switching seats. And I roll up and 7B right in the uh, aisle seat right next to it is someone in a Team USA jacket, which also shows that I couldn't have been the person that was like mansplaining because obviously someone wouldn't be explaining to an Olympian how to do their training. But anyway, so in a Team USA jacket and I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm sitting next to a climber. I guess it's awesome because she's on her phone looking down and I'm like, all right, cool. Like not going to try to freak out and like overhype this, but like obviously isn't Brooke, but it's some other climber. So I'll start a conversation. So as I like walk around, I'm like, oh, yeah, my seat's in the middle. Like, were you in the Olympics? Like trying to just start a conversation, knowing obviously this person was probably in the Olympics because they're wearing all Team USA kit. And she goes, yeah. And I like kind of still haven't really seen her because she's on her phone wearing a hat. I'm like, yeah, like how, like, oh, like how did you do? And she was like, oh, pretty well. And I like, as I sit down, I like look at her and I start, I'm starting to ask like, oh, are you a climber? But before I could even finish saying like, oh, are you a, and then before I can finish that, I realized it's Molly Seidel because I just seen her in the race like three days ago. And I like go, oh shit, you're Molly Seidel. <laughs> and she like laughs at me and is like, yeah, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> like starts laughing. And then I'm like, that's crazy. Like I'm this runner for Santa Clara. Like I was just with all my friends, like watching the marathon and we saw your race. Like, that's awesome. Like, nice job. She's like, yeah. Like we have like a small conversation. She's like, do you want to see my medal? And I'm like, of course, <laughs> like, of course I want to see your medal. And this is like before the fight's taken off. So I still have service. So she like gets up in the, like, she ends up getting up multiple times during the flight to like, grab stuff from her suitcase. But this is the first time she like gets up, grabs her suitcase, like pulls it down, pulls out like this like nice, uh, like box basically that holds this medal and like opens it up and just hands me this gold medal. And then it's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And like pulls back out her phone and starts texting someone again. And I'm like sitting there just on this plane, like holding a gold medal. Like, what do I do with this? Shouldn't it be bronze? Well, it's not gold. It's bronze, yeah, okay. but it looks, it looks gold and it's bronze. And it says like third place and has the whole Olympic plaque. And it was pretty crazy. And I put my phone, I Snapchat my teammates and I'm like, you guys are never going to believe this, but look what I'm holding. <laughs> and it's like, now at this point, the flight is starting to board. So I don't actually get many of their responses, but like I get a text from some of my friends who are huge running nerds and they're like, no way like what of course you sit next to her and i'm like yeah it's, it's definitely wild but i end up giving it back to her and i'm telling her all about it and she grabbed throughout the uh flight she like grabbed her bag a couple more times and showed me a lot of the team usa gear she got um and we talked about a ton of crazy things i'll i can bring up a couple of them but it was it was definitely a wild time yeah well it's good to, it's good to realize that you know that there are fans out there that are recognizing her and, and celebrating her accomplishment because i actually had an experience where i bumped into someone at the chatham kids train station and this woman told me right after the olympics oh i'm a fan of molly seidel so she's running into people that are fans and are excited to see her whereas the only thing we heard on twitter was this negative story um so what did you guys talk about i mean i assume you did not tell her how if she had run more mileage (laughs) she would have won the gold medal no i if if i had known that had happened i definitely would have made that joke but this must have been before, or I hadn't yet seen that tweet or something because I didn't do that. Basically, like right off the bat, I was just like, how was the race? Like, 
what was it like running? And she was telling me all about it. One of the things I found was super interesting was, I don't know if you all remember, but in the race, she kept not following the tangent line. And as like a runner, that's like one of my big things. Like if I'm running a race, like I'm running the shortest possible race I can run. Like I'm running the inside of a track. If it's a cross course, like I'm always trying to cut the inside. I don't know she kept being on the outside. So I was like, what were you doing? And she was like the, she was telling me that the, the Kenyan, the two Kenyan girls and the Israeli girl had like teamed up against her. And if you like go back and watch it, like anytime she was running in the pack, they would like bump her or they wouldn't let her get water. So she had to like, she was just like, I was just done with it by like mile 12 or 14. I was like, I'm just going to run like four meters away from them and not let them touch me. So she was telling me that. And then I was asking her a bit about the training, which was pretty crazy. I should have told her to run more, but, but she was telling me how I had like from before the race, some of my teammates had like, like her straw, if you've seen her Strava, it's like the most crazy, consistent looking Strava. Like, so I had seen her from before and she was telling me how she had just been clocking off over hundred mile weeks and how it was sweet to watch it pay off. Um, uh, we talked a ton about, cause I've, I've had like a couple other crazy run-ins with like fast pro runners. There was after my race at nationals actually, um, like it was the day after my race. So I was going to just do like an easy, easy run, just to like shake out the legs. So I wasn't, wouldn't be as sore. And I show up to, um, this trail in Eugene, um, called, it's called the Amazon trail, I think. And right next to it is summit high school. And on this high school track, I see Craig Engel and I had run into him earlier at a meet and he had talked to my dad on the phone. Cause I had seen him walk by when I was on the phone with my dad. And I said, Oh, Hey Craig. And it was like, he like left his group of friends to say hi to me. And was like, how's your race go? And I was like, Oh, it went well. And he saw, I was like on the, put my phone down. And it was like on the phone with my dad. And he's like, Oh, can I talk to your dad real quick? So he grabbed my phone, had like a five minute conversation with my dad. So when I was at the Amazonian trail and saw him, I reminded him, I was like, Oh, I'm that guy that you talked to my dad for like five minutes out in, at the Oregon state meet. And he was like, Oh, sweet. And then as he was like leaving, he like had a quick conversation and he was like, yeah, like I'm actually about to, about to take off for a workout. Do you want to do it? And I'm never going to say no to doing a workout with Craig Engels. My legs were really tired, but I was like, yeah, you know, whatever, I'll do it. So I like quickly did this. It was a, I think it was post his main workout, but we did like hill repeats right at a neighborhood hill near there. We did like six by 30 seconds and just like, they were, they were very hard, but we just booked it up the hill and I did it with him. And then I did a whole cool down with him. He's a great dude. I absolutely love him. Was Coach Julian there yelling at you? Like, or was it? He was not, but the uh, co- the Washington coach was there, and I talked to him a bit as well. He is a good guy. It was funny because this was right after the. Um, I think I think he got in a ton of trouble for some of the Washington runners wearing Nikes in their race. So it was interesting to hear him talk about how he was like mad about it, but was like, I'm telling him not to, but like it's only so much you can do and like they're good shoes but it was interesting to hear him talk about that and just talk about training um but anyway i'm on the plane with molly and i like bring up how i've met craig and then i'm friends with a lot of the oregon runners so i've i've met um cole a couple times so i was like oh yeah like i know cole and these are all people that she had like met at the olympic village and she had because she went back to the village after her race and she's like oh yeah they're all such good people and was like telling me her stories about them and i'm telling them my stories and then i'm asking about like oh like what's kip chogi like and she's like, oh, dude, she's just, he's just as cool as he sounds. Like, he is the most zen dude I've ever met. And it was just, like, kind of crazy because I'm on this plane and I think, like, I'm looking around and I'm like, I don't think anybody here would enjoy this experience like I am right now and I'm getting to have it. So talking to her about, like, all these different runners, like, what it's like in the pro running world. Since I'm from Boulder and she's obviously trained there, we're talking about all these different places in Boulder, like, good food spots. 
she loves Flagstaff because she goes there to train all the time. And like one of my housemates and like best friends is like from right around there. So um, I know a good amount about it. And it was, we were deciding between Flagstaff and Park City for our summer. So I was talking to her about Flagstaff and then I was talking to her about like her college running and all of that and like how her tra- training has changed. And then she was, I was talking a good amount about like our season just because like our team is making a big push to try to have our best year, try to make it to nationals and like break a ton of records. And she was like, oh, that's awesome. Like you guys are up in Park City. Like, how's that? She was like a very personable, such a nice person. Like she was like, anytime we talk about like her racing Olympics, she'd get like, like giddy and excited about how happy she was. And you could see like her phone had just been like blown up by text. And she had like a whole week. She was talking about her week planned. She was like going to Flagstaff because like her friends there wanted to throw her a huge party. And then like the second she got off the plane, it was gonna be like a bender. And then she was flying back to like Boston and her friends there were throwing her a huge party. And she's like, it's just going to be like, this next week is going to be crazy. And she was super excited about it. And then it kind of went quiet for a little bit. And then like I pulled out my iPad because I was planning on doing work because I was like, um, had a ton of work to do for, I work for an advertising agency in Boulder called Voltage and I'm a designer there. And I kind of realized like one of the, I also do a lot of freelance design and like one of the projects I'd been commissioned on at the time was from this company called the Harrier. If you guys don't know what the Harrier is, look them up on Instagram or online. They're like a t-shirt design company that does, or they, they do mugs and t-shirts and posters and a lot of apparel related to like running and the professional running scene. And they had just commissioned me to do a post, to do a t-shirt and a poster about Molly Seidel. And I was like, yeah, like totally I'll do that. Sounds awesome. Like she just ran great. So I had like done some initial sketches and that kind of hit me. I like been like all over my head that like I'm sitting next to the person that I'm designing a t-shirt for right now. Like how many chances do you get to show the person the design you're making and see which one they like? So I like end up like, I'm like, I like tap her again. I'm like, Hey, like probably is going to sound kind of creepy. Cause I mean, it's probably creepy. I'll be like, I'm drawing you. But I was like, like, and she, I had mentioned that I was a designer beforehand. I'm like, but like, I know how I mentioned I was a designer. Like, um, I don't know if you know the company, the Harrier, but like I've designed a couple t-shirts for them, done a lot of like small designs for them. And like right now they're commissioning me to do a design about you and like your like champion, your Olympic race and like that. So I like pull my iPad and pull up like some of the initial sketches I have. And at this point she like kind of starts laughing. She's like, oh my God, I know who you are. And I was like, yeah, like, like I got all honored that maybe she like knew about my drawings. I've had like some go bigger on Instagram, but like, if she had seen them, I would have been super stoked. And she's like, yeah, like my agent keeps talking about you actually. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, like my agent right now is in the middle of like a giant negotiation with the Harrier because they want to use my name and they want to make a t-shirt. And also my agent does not want that to happen without like us getting paid X amount. She's like, I'm like totally out of it. But like, yeah, my agent keeps telling me about this. And I'm like, oh, like, well, that's crazy. So like I show her the design. She's like, yeah, like these are not going to work. <laughs> like I, my agent's going to shut these down. Like they're super cool. And like, I like them a ton, but yeah. And she's like, yeah, like to be honest, you're just like, this is like my agent's just pissed and you're causing a lot of problems, but like, it's not you, it's the Harrier, which is, I don't know whatever. But then like a week later, the Harrier messaged me and they're like, oh, like I'm super sorry. Like whatever work you did, like we'll still pay you for. But like, um, like after talking to their agent, like it's just not going to work out. So they ended up putting me on a couple other t-shirt designs, which are going to be just as sweet. But it was pretty crazy to talk to her about the designs I was doing and like have her tell me all about like the business side from her side and be like, yeah, like, this isn't going to work. And it was also funny just because I like, I like for her to know of me as the person causing her troubles, 
and then like have this come up halfway through a flight it was kind of embarrassing but also really funny and we both laughed about it well maybe i should hire you i i i have des- i have no graphical background but I, i'm the one that designed the let's run 15940 shirt actually oh yeah also the classic let's run shirt i'm thinking about making a new one but i should get you to do it because yeah hit me up to work to learn photoshop is not easy and particularly when you're, when you're not artistic yeah, so follow, follow me on Instagram at Litoff Studios. It's L-I-T-O-F-F-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. It's a pretty cool account. You can use me for t-shirts or anything bigger. I'm excited to hear that the young people are still having fun, the, the, that Molly had a bender after the Olympics. <laughs> but you're excited yeah. that you – I don't know if bender is the best word, but yeah, yeah, you know. I'm sure she had a little victory celebration. But you know, you're all pumped to meet, to meet Craig and Molly, whereas that doesn't impress me as much because – I know the guy that used to coach Molly, and I know Craig's high school coach. I'm more impressed here. Cole, you know Cole Hawker and Cooper Tier. Now that's who mm-hmm. I'm in awe. That's like people I've never met. I'm like, wow, they're special. People I've kind of met or know someone who knows them. It's not as cool. They're they're great people. Yeah, I met um, Cooper just because I'm from Boulder, and they always would come out to Boulder to train. So like two or three summers ago, he came out there just to train, and like um, kind of it was like me him. Some of the CU guys, a couple of the other Oregon guys kind of had like a long run group that we would go long runs every Sunday and then we'd hang out afterwards, um, get burritos and, you know, just like hang out for the whole afternoon. And then I ended up doing like, I would do some runs with him just like throughout the week. And so I got really close with him and a lot of the other kind of the, like the new generation guys, like, um, you know, like Carter and, and all those guys, they're all super great. And then Cole was actually there that summer. So to be honest, I probably got to know Cole the least well just because i was closer in age to cooper and carter and all those guys but um i did get to know him he's a super nice guy i was I'm su- i was super excited to see him run and run well like th- those guys are just so cool they're super nice very personable like you see him on all those videos on youtube and instagram and like they're just super great dudes in person too like in real life they're so nice so it's always nice to know that were you shocked how good he was this year no, oh, I was mind blown. The first time I met Cole, I'm a member, like I'm slightly embarrassed even like thinking this, but like I'm hanging out. I was like, oh, I'm with like Cooper Tier. And I, at this point, I didn't know too much about running. I was young, and my friend was like, yeah, like he got six at indoors last year, and I was like, damn, like, he's probably really fast. But like that's cool. And then like all these other Oregon guys, then I'm like, who is this other freshman? They're like, why is this freshman here training? And it's this because he had I, I knew he had run pretty well in high school, but I was like, like these other guys are so good. And then my friend Casey is like one of my, basically my best friend. Like, it's like, no, nah, dude, he's really good. Like, trust me, he ran so well in high school. And then like, so my initial thought was who is this guy? And a year later he makes the Olympics. And I was like, well, I couldn't have been more wrong about that, but that's how it goes. Well, I think 99.9% of us would have been wrong in that one too. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Back to the plane. Final thing on the plane, you know, there are points you have to try to play it cool. You can't, you know, at some point you got to let her just like be on her phone, right? Or yeah, no, totally. I, it's a balancing act. How many questions you can get in, and how yeah. many people <laughs> I'd say her. about thirty percent of the plane, forty percent of the plane, she was on her phone or like kind of sleeping because she had just flown from Tokyo. But like any chance I got to bring up a conversation, I did, and she was so nice about it. Like I could tell she was tired, but like she was honestly probably just so excited with how everything had gone, and like I was like the like probably for her getting off a flight from Tokyo and getting to sit next to like a college runner who knows all about her. And like, that was probably sweet for her too, just to like not have to sit next to some random person and have to go through this thing, what she went through where later on, she was like someone trying to explain to her about running. Like 
that would suck if you went and got bronze in the olympics like did the best you could basically do like run out of your mind win all the like win all these races have a crazy season and then you go sit on an airplane and someone doesn't know who you are so i kind of like i think part of the way through my flight i kind of realized like as much as i'm enjoying this this has got to be pretty cool for her too and she was so nice about it kept answering all my questions like kept asking me questions was just an amazing person and like at near the end of the flight i was like all right like i don't want to like like fan over this too much but i don't think anyone's gonna believe me that i sat next to you and had all these crazy conversations with you unless like i get a picture with you and i was like kind of felt embarrassed being like can i get a picture with you i was like well like once we get off the plane like i would love to grab a picture with you and she's like yeah like totally that'd be awesome so like we get off we like walk off together just because we were next to each other and we get off and we take a picture and we take one with our masks on and then she was like yeah we don't have to wear these like it's fine so we take our masks off take a really quick picture put them back on. And then it was funny because there were a couple other Olympians on the airplane, obviously. And they come up to me and they're like, hey, actually, can I get a picture with Molly too? And I become this photographer for like all these Olympians taking pictures with her. And I was like, oh, I'm on like this person's phone and this person's phone is like taking pictures of like Molly next to these other Olympians. And I was like, it's good to know that like within the athletic community, Ryan's getting the respect it deserves and she is. And it's tough to hear that on that one flight, that one guy definitely didn't give her the respect she deserves. It's a great story. I'm sure she really did probably enjoy, probably enjoy being next to you. You're right because I've always said there aren't that many people that really understand the sacrifice that it takes to be good at running, and you clearly do. Did she say anything about her? Like, how shocked was she that she won this medal, or did she know that she was in the shape of her life going into that race? Yeah, she she definitely she knew she was in the shape of her life, and her, I think she had the same philosophy that like any of the best runners do, which is like I, I think I'm capable of mixing up with the best. It's just got to be my day. And she said that she like, she didn't know how well she was doing until near the end of the race. She thought everyone was right behind her. She was like, like she said, I don't know if you remember, there was that point when it was, she was in fourth and that girl kind of dropped off. The third place person started like dropping and she passed her. She was like, I thought she was right behind me until like a K or two K to go. Like she is, I think for a large majority of the race, she said she didn't think she was going to get top three, but she was just like, her goal was just mix it up with the best and see where she can be. And but like, I think if you have that philosophy, like, and she knew she was one of the best runners there, it just had to be her day. And when you get to the end and find out it is your day, like, it's definitely a good feeling. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, <clears throat> we just published our London Marathon preview. I didn't, but that race set an all-time record. The Olympics had eight women with sub-220 PBs. It's, yeah, no, that was an insane race. And I know some of them dropped out sport. in the heat, but she got the medal. So. Yeah. Cool to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. Talk about mixing up with the best. You've been in altitude all summer. You've just done pretty well at GRIAC. We mm-hmm. hope to see you. And what is it, Santa Clara? Yeah, Santa Clara University. We're uh, heading out to pre-nationals in about two weeks. Uh, I think we have some really lofty goals. Our first race didn't go exactly as we planned. We're still very happy with it. But just Santa Clara had the hardest uh, hardest COVID rules, to be honest. We really went through it. We had to all live in the same house. So we had 12 people in one house. We only got a race once during cross last year. And it was just like, I had come off of red shirting the year before. And so had multiple of our, other of our top runners. So like, I don't think conference last year was really the race we wanted. And then it had just been two years since we had really raced cross. So everyone was really happy with their race. But I think a lot of us crossed the finish line thinking like, oh, I could do a lot better. And our like number two guy was a bit sick and hadn't worked out in three weeks. I think I could have definitely been in that top 10 if I, if I had like put it on earlier. So we're going to pre-nuts and a, uh, I think people are going to be pretty shocked when they see how good Santa Clara is this year. Have you guys ever made, have you ever made NCAs? No. So actually when I 
originally went to Santa Clara, we only had had two people ever go to regionals in track. And then my freshman year, this guy, Joey Berriatua, you guys might know because he runs for a 10 man elite right now. So he's like, basically was the, the older guy that led me through it when I was younger. He qualified. And then actually this last year, we sent five guys alone to regionals and track. And then I was our first person to make uh, track nationals. And we had a guy, Jack Davidson, was our, he made it to cross nationals as an individual. But he was our first guy to ever make nationals and cross as an individual or on a team. And our team's never gone. But this year, we, we'll, be, we'll be shooting for one of those outside bids. We, we know who we have to beat. It's, uh, we know that where we have to run well. And it kind of starts at uh, pre-nuts and then conference and regionals will be our next big ones well the nice thing about being in the west regionals you can get pushed in too because there's so many exactly yeah that's that's going to be our basically our way in is top top two is probably definitely kind of out of out of reach for us just with how good oregon and washington is right now but yeah and stanford (laughs) oregon washington stanford are pretty clear top three and then we have gonzaga right there they're a great team in portland right there and we we think if we have our perfect race we can maybe mix it up with them but we also think we could maybe get in if we can beat enough teams early in the season and just finish right behind them. And how fast were you in high school? I, I, was, I wasn't great in high school. I ran, I never broke 16 in the 5K. Well, not that that's bad. That's still really good, actually. But like for, for where I wanted to go, and I, I was always trying to break 16, and I was just never able to do it. And then in track. But like, what did you get at the state meet in cross country in Colorado? And for cross, I think I got 22nd. But I like the end of my track season, I really kind of figured out running like right at the very end. And I had, hadn't run really well. And then we, I went to Arcadia and ran 9-11. And like right after I ran that, I started getting a lot more college offers. And that was when Santa Clara was like, they had already gave me an offer. And they were like, oh, man, like we really want you. Like, I know you're probably gonna start talking to other teams. But like, and I, at that point, I'd already come to Santa Clara and really seen how awesome it was and how great the culture was and how great the team was and how much Felipe, our coach, just wanted the team to be good. And I started looking at some other schools and I like realized like I, I could go to another school and be like another, another great runner on the team, or I could go to Santa Clara where like the program's really getting good and join that. Um, so I ran nine ten there and then I ended up going on and I never broke four twenty for the mile and I never ran any faster in the two mile, but I got third in the mile, but I was third on my team as well. We had a guy go to Washington and a guy go to Stanford who both beat me. And then I got third in the two mile, the same two people beat me. And then I got fifth in the 800 and then our four by eight team won. So kind of ended out my, my uh, high school running with a bang, which was super exciting leading into college and I've just been on the up ever since. Sounds like you're doing good. Cause trust me, I coached in college a long time. Most nine, 10 kids aren't, I know that's a good high school time. Mm-hmm. Most nine, 10 kids aren't, aren't sniffing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think our coach does a really good job of finding the talent like that and finding the people who just want to be good. And our team definitely has that has that atmosphere. And now with the NCAA not counting last year, you you probably, and you redshirted a year. You, you could have six, seven years of college, so you could get grad. No, see, I messed up, and I redshirted when COVID was. <laughs> I started redshirting, and then co- I didn't know COVID was going to happen, so I redshirted that cross season. And then COVID happened right at the very end. It didn't affect any of the races, but they decided to give everyone back the whole year. So, and then I had already red. Then I was redshirting indoor and outdoor that year basically advice to anyone redshirt when you're a freshman i i didn't do that and now i'm paying for it well, you can't but redshirt I have, this is my fifth year this is your, this is your fifth year now right now this is my fifth year now so it's my last my last go at it no but once you get another year of cross 
I have one more year of cross. So if I find a school, hired, that, you know, a hired gun folks, college coaches, like somebody will give, somebody will have money left over and just give you like a full ride because that's true. Yeah. If you got, if you got money left over, I'm a graphic designer. If your school has anything related, anything to design, definitely I'm here. So, well, good luck. And I hope to see you guys at NCAAs, but it's a cool story. Thanks for sharing with us and um, keep meeting those Olympians. Definitely. That's my goal. Keep meeting them and keep doing cool drawings. So, all right. You, uh, send me the ideas for the Let's Run t shirt. That would be cool. I will. I'll definitely get you some Let's Run ideas. All right, man. I think I got some good ones. Take care. All right. You as well. Have a good one.